0: Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Deuteronomy 31 and 6. Let's read together. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's close our eyes. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Avenue what's happening how y'all doing today Tim is right I am a recent seminary grad but I am someone that um, I love God's Word I love God's Word for a long time before school and so my hope is as we talk tonight as we dive into Deuteronomy 31 6 that all of us will be people that love God's Word amen Amen. So a few things about me. One, uh, church, thank y'all so much over the past couple of weeks praying for our family. We've gone through a lot of stuff. Uh, and we have baby number two doing six weeks. <laughs> I said six weeks. My bad. Six days. Thank you, baby. Thank you, baby. I'm speaking too quickly. Uh, in the midst of some challenging weeks, God has been gracious. And baby number two will be here this weekend, baby. potentially. Woo! Y'all pray for us. We're going to need a lot of sleep, some sanctified naps. They're going to have to be taking place over the next couple of weeks, but God is good. Deuteronomy 31.6. I love sports. I love me some sports. If y'all check out my Facebook page, I'm always talking about sports. Amen, somebody? Y'all know that. Uh, but one movie in particular about sports that stands out to me is Rocky IV. Rocky IV. Rocky IV, Rocky Rocky is fighting Ivan Drago, the Russian champion. Ivan is bigger. He's stronger. Uh, He hits harder than Rocky. And we know this because in the middle of the movie, Drago is boxing with Rocky's friend Apollo and hits him so hard continuously that Apollo dies. So Rocky because he wants to honor his friend, takes up to fight Drago. But not in America, he wants to go to Russia at the height of the Cold War between America and the Soviet Union. So Rocky is so in mode for this fight that he trains in the wilderness in the outskirts of Russia. There's nobody but him and his mentor and trainer Duke. Duke also trained Apollo, and so Duke tells Rocky, look, Apollo is gone. You're the one now. It all rests on you. You're about to go through a whole lot of stuff. But in the end, it's going to be you standing, and you're going to take the fight. Amen? So I'm saying that because our text today, we got another fight coming. In fact, some of you this evening hearing my voice, you guys are in some fights right now fighting on your jobs, for your career, fighting in schools. You're seeing family members in some fights. And so as we talk about fighting tonight, I want to encourage you that the scripture that we just read comes before a big fight is looming for Israel. And before the fight comes, God is saying, hey, Joshua, I got you. God is saying through Moses to Joshua, this young leader, I got you. Some fights are coming, but I got you. Tonight, does anyone believe God is with you in the fight tonight? Speak to me. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you. Some translations say he will not fail you, and he will not abandon you. Three things tonight. One, we're going to review Israel's journey in light of this verse. Next, we're going to look at our own lives and even our church in this season of life regarding these verses. And then, lastly, I want to introduce an apologetic ethical explanation for this text and why so many people hate texts like these. Amen, somebody. That's going to be tonight. Let's ride. Point one. When we see our text today, Uh, Israel finds themselves at the front steps of a new season. Just to recap, um, their parents, the previous generation, was judged by God because they failed to believe in his promises. God sent spies out to Canaan before they get there. But instead of coming back with faith, expectation to see God's goodness, they refused to go to the promised land. So God, in his judgment, tells the people, you know what? Y'all going to wander for 40 years, and y'all won't even see it, but your kids will. So for 40 years, they wander in a circle around the desert till finally a new generation is on, is on, the, is on the doorsteps, the front steps, and God said, it is y'all's time now. So the entire book of Deuteronomy is about this, a new generation ready to take God's promises. That's what the entire book is about. And so our text specifically is Moses' last words. He's about to go, y'all. He's about to go. He's seen God's promises. He's seen God's provision through the ups and downs. This seasoned mentor talks to Joshua, and he says, Hey, young G, your time is coming. And there's some fights coming. But in the midst of these fights, in the midst of these people that you're going to have to fight with continuously, day after day, to take the ground, I promise you, guess what, G? I got you. Be encouraged. Stand firm. The Lord God is with you. Is God with y'all tonight, y'all? That's what Moses is saying. He's saying, you got some stuff on the way. You ain't going to be able to sit still this time. You got to pick up a sword, a shield, some shoes, a helmet. You Had to throw them hands. But guess what? I got you. That's what Israel is doing. And notice this too. They're fighting not for their redemption. God already saved them, y'all. God saved them in Exodus 14, where he takes them out of Egypt. He sits them by by the Nile River. And Moses says the same words, be still and stand firm and you will see the Lord's salvation. And he stretches out his staff and he pounds the ground and the water spread. They've seen God's provision, but this time it's going to be totally different. They're going to a land filled with godlessness, violence, even Giants. Guess what? Some of us face giants, too. Some of us face some enemies, too, that sometimes just seem too big for us. But like God with Israel, God's with us. But before they get settled, before they kick their feet up and start putting their houses together and fixing their rugs and fixing their doors and going on Etsy and all that, right, before all that, yo, you got to fight this one. So some of y'all listening are just like, but George, like, if, if it's God's will, like, can't we, can't we just be still? Like, if, if God is sovereign, right, if, if, if he's this all-powerful God that sees all, knows all, and he has my days planned and his will mapped out, like, can I just be still? Well, I think sometimes in our circle, we think that. We think that because something is God's will, I have to do nothing. I can just sit still and God's got me. But no, man, God is like, this time you got to fight for something. And we know this because in Genesis 15, before we even get here, God tells Abraham, yo, everything I promised you, I'm going to get you. Everything I promised, I'm going to get you. For 400 years, your people are going to be in Egypt. And then I'm going to bring them out by my power. But guess what? The Canaanites live there, and their sin has not reached its full measure. But so people gonna go there, and they gonna be settled. So God promised in his sovereignty the land's gonna be there. But some stuff has to take place first. What do you do when God tells you to go to war for something? What do you do when God tells you to fight and resist something? The reason why I love the Old Testament is because of this. And I wish we saw more Old Testament preaching in our churches, but that's another story. Um, I love the Old Testament because it gives us physical examples of spiritual realities. It does that. So in our text today, even though Israel is fighting, the spiritual truth is in our lives there is spiritual warfare always taking place. There's always a war we're waging around us. And when that war is raging, God is calling his people to take up his spiritual weapons and to fight for what God has given us. And again, we're not fighting for something, we're fighting from something because Christ gave us the victory. Amen. And because he won, that means we win. And so with any trial you face in this life, you win because Christ wins. Amen. Somebody, that is the point of this of this story. A physical example of a spiritual reality. Amen, Bubba. Out of the mouths of babes. Tell your neighbor you got to fight for something. Tell your other neighbor you got to fight for something. You got to fight for this one, y'all. It may be God's will. In fact, I know it's God's will for your marriage to thrive. It is God's will to see godly marriages but you may have to fight for a season. It may be God's will for you to be a doctor, an attorney, but guess what? You may have to go through seminary school and fight some injustices. Amen, somebody? But you got to press on. It may be God's will for you to start that ministry or to lead that team or to manage that project, but guess what? You may have to put some work in for it. In fact, we even know... It's God's will for us to be sexually pure and free from immorality and free from the strongholds of pornography. But guess what? For a season, you may have to dig your feet down and call every person you know and get some scriptures and get some accountability and block your phone and maybe give away your phone and say, you know what? I'm digging in and fighting for this one. Some things we have to fight for, though it's God's will. And God is saying that because I want you to experience the victory I have for you. That it's not really you fighting, it's me fighting, but you're fighting the way I want you to fight. And that is how we see the victory, y'all. That is how we see victory in our li- in our lives. And despite what it looks like, despite how big your giant is, we have a Savior who has conquered our giants, y'all. That is why we are able to fight, and that's why we have the confidence in our victory. So, George, what weapons do we have? Y'all may be asking, what weapons do we, do we use to engage in, in these in, in the spiritual battles that we're talking about tonight? Well, we do know according to 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says that our weapons are mighty before God. They're mighty to pull down strongholds. We also know in Ephesians six ten through fourteen that we are in a spiritual battle, and so the weapons that we have, y'all, are prayer. We use confession and repentance. We use fast and we use scripture, godly counsel, faith, and even pro- and even gospel proclamation. Sometimes I had to preach the gospel to myself, y'all. These are the weapons that we use in the spiritual war, and these are the weapons that give us victory in the name of Jesus. These are our weapons. You know, as I, was, um, as I was prepping for the sermon tonight, a few things came to my mind and my heart. Hey Amen, Bubba. And so I'm not mean to speak prophetically as I say this. I'm not trying to go there, but I say this in faith about our church thinking about us, talking with Tim and just being in some of the conversations. Y'all, our church is on the precipice of a new season. We are on the doorsteps of a new season, and God has been gracious. He has been kind. He has met every need. But here is the word. There are some new things we will have to face in this season as a church. Got all make sure I'm writing what I say, what I write, because I want to speak in Aaron now. <laughs> New battles, new concerns, new trials. And so I say this not only from human logic. I'm saying this from the context of Scripture. Whenever you read the Scriptures, whenever you read the Bible, whenever God's people are stepping into a new season or whenever they are going forward to embark on new ministry ground, something takes place, a battle takes place, opposition takes place. That is the Bible. And so as we are talking about our new building and going back to, my, to morning service and having all these ministry plans and all these great things, know that as you plan this, there is spiritual opposition waiting. But here's the good news, brother Tim. God is with us. God's with our church. He has sustained our church, and he will go forward with our church. And so I'm saying this, I'm even thinking about the book of Nehemiah. Book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible, where Israel has come back home. They have left exile, and Nehemiah has led thousands of Israelites back home. And as they're getting ready to build back the temple, build back the city, build back the walls, as they begin to lift up their tools to build, opposition takes place. Threats take place. Insults take place. Even the king himself sends a letter back to Nehemiah saying, hold up, y'all got to stop building. They faced opposition in the physical, in the imperial, and the spiritual side. Every side they looked, there was opposition, but God was with them. The people, through the prophet Haggai, God, through the prophet Haggai, exhorted the people don't stop building. And they rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. And so God was able to have the city rebuilt because God's people pressed forward in the midst of opposition. Avenue Church tonight, what I'm saying is, in the midst of opposition, can you still build what God is calling you to build? In your personal life, in the life of this church, in your marriage, wherever it is, if God is asking you to build something, do you have the faith to build it despite what it looks like? Tell your neighbor, don't stop building. Come on, don't stop building. Some of y'all, God has put dreams, ideas in your heart, in your mind. I ain't being charismatic right now. I'm talking God right now. Sometimes God gives us ideas to build his kingdom, and some of y'all have stopped doing it because y'all are like, it is too hard. Man, and guess what? It probably is. <laughs> There is probably some opposition facing you. In fact, some of y'all are trying to break from generational curses in your own family. And it's so hard. But guess what, Joanna? God's like, keep going. Press on. Because we, ha- because we have an enemy that seeks to oppose whatever God is trying to do. And if, and if there's anything I say tonight, please grab hold to that because the stuff that we encounter as saints is not by accident. Yeah. Our flesh, the wicked one, even some of your haters. I just said that because of Nehemiah, I wasn't throwing shade, I wasn't fishing. Nehemiah actually had some haters, y'all, so y'all read the story. He actually did. Go check it out. <laughs> but despite all of these, man, God will sustain us. Matthew sixteen eighteen says this, that the gates of hell will not prev- prevail against the Lord's church. But what God desires is this. My dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor is not in vain. Y'all's labor is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. We serve a God that is with us. He is for us, and nothing can stand against us. Amen, somebody. If you all waiting for me to preach, I'm preaching right now. God will not fail us. The proof is in Israel's life. The proof is in our life. In the book of Joshua, after Joshua's ministry is on the verge of being complete, Israel has fought God's enemies. God has given them rest on every side. Every single tribe has their land, their allotment. They're about to kick their feet up and call Etsy and say, hey, we got some stuff to put up. Let's decorate, baby. Come on, we're about to do it. It says this, and then Joshua Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was was fulfilled. God kept his promises to his people, but they had to fight. Last point. Um, So, the apologetic, ethical thing I'm about to share in this text I'm doing this for a few reasons, one, these verses right here trip people up, right? In conversations you sometimes have with, you know, skeptics and people that struggle with the Scriptures, one of the issues is the conquest of Canaan, right? And that is, how can a loving, a loving, good God ordain genocide? In fact, some of y'all right now may be thinking, how is it that the God of the Old Testament that's promoting genocide, as we just got through talking about God told Israel to go to Canaan and deal with these folks, right? How is this loving God promoting genocide, yet in the New Testament, all I see is Jesus and the apostles talking about God is love, God is love, God is love, turn the other cheek, put the sword down, right? How, 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 do, you, how do you rationalize that? And these are the verses that skeptics and other folks will use to say, you know what, the Scriptures, I can't deal with it. I'm going to deal with a few verses, and that's it, right? This is the reality of a lot of people. And so, tonight, I would feel, honestly, I would not feel like I did y'all justice if I did not dive into this. So I'm going to do it. In fact, we like to call these verses right here, the conquest of Canaan, even when Paul talking about slavery in the New Testament, we like to call these problematic passages. They're problematic. Let me start with God's character. And I want to humbly, with as little hubris as possible, talk about this. Uh, First of all, God's character. We like to say God is immutable. George, really that big word? Yes, God is immutable. (laughs) Greg, like, yeah, immutable, right? Come on. All right. So, simple means God does not change. We serve an eternal, holy God that has not changed. Grandma would say, baby, hold to God's unchanging hand because God does not change. Yet also, because of that, God is 100% of his character all the time. 100% 100% loving, and 100% just. God cannot change any aspects of His character, because if He did so, then God would forfeit His integrity, therefore He would not be God, and therefore we could not worship Him. We are pretty much hopeless if that were the case. So God is perfect. He does not change. God is also infallible. He is perfect. He is holy, and He can do no wrong. And so how do we rationalize that with the conquest of Canaan when God has just encouraged Joshua uh, through Moses to be steadfast, don't be afraid, I'm with you, go take care of these people. How can we rationalize that kind of God? How can we do that? Genesis 15, I mentioned this earlier, I want to go back to it. God tells Abraham that... The Canaanites, their sin has not reached its limit. For 400 years, God waited. For 400 years, God waited for this portion of the Middle East to get it right. They would not. Think about God's kindness to wait 400 years on on a group, a people group. Some of y'all can't wait four seconds for folks. But God said, for 100 years, he's waiting for Canaan, in act of his kindness, allowing them time to repent they did not. Let's fast forward to to, to Leviticus 18. God says this. He says that the Canaanites, their sin has defiled the land to such an extent that the land wants to vomit them out. Judgment is coming. So here's what the people were doing, right? They were delving in all kinds of witchcraft, baby infant sacrifice sexual sins of all kinds they were unjust cruel wicked greedy always lusting always lusting for more to no end to where god says i've had it doing away with them sin has defiled the land so much and themselves because here's the real issue as we get to this, because I'm going to get to the cross in a second, because we ain't going to forget the cross tonight, trust me. We come in there. Sin destroys. Sin defiles. Sin taints. It destroys relationships. Sin destroys systems. It destroys mindsets. It destroys emotions. Sin destroys everything it touches, and our world is full of it, <laughs> right? Right? And it deserves God's judgment because it is a divine slap to the face of God. But because God has called Israel to be holy like he is holy, Because he has promised Abraham that his people would come to this place of a land of milk and honey where they have to work for nothing, y'all, because God is calling Israel to be like him, God is like, I want you, Israel, to be my hands of divine justice. In fact, I was reading the African commentary, and one of the guys said this. He said that the conquest of Canaan was not about colonization, it was about judgment. And so God takes Israel, his holy people, and he's like, you know what? You are going to be my administers of justice to this people for for 400 years or longer. I watched them intimately in and out. I saw their mind. I saw their hearts, I saw their conversations. I saw their laws. I saw their, I saw their decrees. I saw everything, and I wanted to see if there would be a semblance of change in their heart, but it was not. So he sends Israel to administer divine justice. And so, as we wrestle with these verses, and I can see why some people do, we see the most uncom- uncomfortable aspect of God's character, and that is his judgment. And he must hate sin, and he will always hate sin, and God will always judge sin, amen. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Thankfully, the way God judged the nations in the Old Testament will only last for a short time. This was never God's final remedy for sin and evil. God had something so much better. Tell your neighbor, God's got something better for you. God's got something better for you. Here it is. And Paul gives us this remedy in Romans when he tells us that Jew and Gentile find themselves guilty before a holy God. All of us do. In fact, I can see Satan now in the heavenlies taunting God being like, see God, you you got the Canaanites, but you ain't get, but you ain't get these folks over here. You took this nation out. But guess what? These people sin after decade after decade, generation after generation. You let them go. Where's your integrity, God? You judge evil, right? You let this nation slide. This group didn't get it. Where you at, God? I can see Satan doing that. But Paul gives us the remedy in Romans three twenty six. When he says, all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says, God presented him, Jesus, as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint and his forbearance, no, forbearance, you know, we got still in loans. Some of y'all got Sally Mae out there. When I go into forbearance, that means that I have loans that are due. And they could easily come back and demand the full amount. So if I owe $400 a month on student loans, and I don't pay them junks, I said, John, we from Memphis, I can say that. They gonna call me and may even be in collections. But if I can make a call to say, hey, I cannot pay it. Can y'all be lenient on me? I just lost my job. Can you grant me some mercy? You go into forbearance and they cancel the monthly payment until you can get caught up to pay the payment. So when Paul says that God in his forbearance, in his forbearance, one, one, uh, translation, one uh, way says restraint. God in his restraint passed over the sins previously committed. God said, I'm going to let that go. I ain't forgot about it, I'ma let it go. I'ma let it go. I got the Canaanites, but Cush, I let them go. The Amalekites, I let them go. I let them go. Greece, Rome, I let them go. Babylonia, I let them go. Persia, I let it go. America, I let it go. China, I let it go. I let it go. This is why I let it go. Because God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Christ. Therefore, brethren, The reason why God does not judge us like the nations of old is because he did something so much better. He laid his son on that cross, and he reared back, and he gave one more divine blow and took out sin for all time. So therefore, instead of us going around like Israel back in the day, going John Wick on folks, right? Trying to tear down the trap house because it's on your block. Even storming Capitol buildings, y'all. I went there. Instead of doing that, God says, I have a message that is so much better. Instead of us giving out justice, we preach and proclaim the one who received divine justice. Instead of spilling other people's blood, we proclaim the one who spilled his own blood on the cross. Instead of bringing death, we proclaim the one who died and rose, defeating death in the grave. And so we don't preach judgment. We preach peace, as Paul says, to those who are far, exhorting all people to bow before a holy God and a righteous Savior that died for them and rose for them and is one day taking them back to heaven to the ultimate promised land. Amen, somebody. That is the gospel. Therefore, I could not do this passage justice without diving into this text fully because we have to see not only God's story to Israel and to us, but also his character, y'all. We serve a God who is loving. He is righteous, he is good, and he is just. And because of that, he has sent his only son. That's why we have communion today. This is what we celebrate. For those in here listening, for those probably watching online, this is the gospel. This is Christianity 101. This is the God that we serve. As I close, I want to say this. One more thing about spiritual victory. I want to say this. One more thing about this. Um, two things we have to do. And I think about an umbrella, right? So, when it's raining outside, pouring down rain, y'all, Memphis in April, man, come on. Y'all know how it is, right? I get my umbrella, <clears throat> and I open it. And I have to put it over me, right? Because that keeps you from getting wet, getting hit with drops of rain. Um, I have to be in alignment with the umbrella, otherwise I will not get hit. Otherwise I will get hit, right? So think about it like this. When when God is telling Joshua through Moses, and God honored Moses' words so so much that he comes back to Joshua in chapter one, and so God actually repeats Moses' words to Joshua. Be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. God gives this extra caveat to Joshua that Moses didn't. God says, this book of the law, meditate on it day and night and do what it says. In other words, like the umbrella, I will give you and Israel Victories you will never, you could never imagine against people that outnumber you by five, 10, 20 times, but you have to remain in alignment under me like this umbrella. So, not only must I have a saving relationship in Jesus Christ, right? Not only must I make him my Lord and Savior, but I have to be in alignment with his ways, y'all. So the key to spiritual victory, the key to winning your battles is not only Christ as my Savior, but I have to align with him in my life as Lord. Otherwise, like the umbrella, I will get hit with raindrops. And I will keep getting wet, and I'll be getting soaked. But if I want to stop getting soaked, just pull out my umbrella, which is Jesus. Come on, y'all. And I can just slide back on under him, and he keeps me from getting hit. That's how we win, y'all. So if you want to see victory, folks, if you want to see victory, Avenue Church, God is with you. Christ won. Get with him. Let God's grace overshadow you, and he bring you in. And once that happens, God has empowered you by the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that gives you power over sin, over your flesh discernment and wisdom against the evil one. With that, stay in alignment with the one that can keep you dry. Amen, somebody.